Hi, welcome back. I'll read. So, well, we did like favorite goals there. Uh, I got a bit excited, didn't I? And then <laughs> after, after me, like prefixing this podcast, so, like, I'm not really into football these days. And yeah, uh, I probably proceeded to like speak more passionately about this than any other episode in the in the series. <laughs> I I just like to, to to make a couple of mentions. I do apologise, but a there's one more memory I have from my young days at football. And there's also, I swear down that we started talking about favorite football players and you got yours in and we moved on the subject. And oh. I was just a bit like, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> All um, right. Do, do, so, favorite, so, do favorite players. And then we'll, we'll go back to, um, you know, early days of football. Cause well, no, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to sneak it in now. Cause it's, it's, it's just the one story, but basically whilst we were still at Drakey, I organized a charity football game. And uh, somehow I tried to balance the two sides so that it would be even. You're right there. Yeah, sorry. I realised my mic was really far away from me. So if if I was sounding a bit weird, especially weird, then that's why. No, it's just just a bunch of rustling. And I was like, have you, have you got the mic stuck down your jumper? Yeah, I do apologise. Yeah, I've put, I've taken it out of my pants. Uh, we continue. <laughs> Is a microphone rustler? He is he's a, no good son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I, I organised a charity game um, and tried to balance the two sides. And I probably, I think it was Bellamy. It, it scored quite a few on the other end against my side. And I said, oh, right, come on. And uh, one of the lads um, got hacked down for a penalty. And he was just like, oh, come on. And I, I was, of course I was captain. So I was just like, no, mate, like, sorry. Like, if I, if I, if I score this, if I don't score this, feel free to take any further penalties. But this one is mine. And I just remember really, really like, you know, my, my dad was there. I, I think that I, you know, there were lots of people's parents were there. And I just, you know, it, it's a completely meaningless game, but I just remember like almost like the, the weight of expectation as I placed that ball down and I was just like, this is going in. You cannot miss this. Mm-hmm. And I did absolutely every. I mean, short of the Ronaldo stutter run, I did everything I could to put the goalie off. I tried to tell him where I was going with my eyes. And in the end, I just thought it's either going in or it isn't. And I just ran at it. And smashed it as hard as I could, and the goalie dived down to it to, to the goalie's left and my right, and uh, it sort of it trailed off towards the left into the middle of the goal, and I just remember like that I, I've I've never felt so such passion in terms of a, a team game that I was playing because I literally turned back to my team and was properly like fucking come on. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we still lost, of course we did, but um, it, it wasn't wasn't the uh, the the only time that, that I had a, a similar um, feeling later on at six form, but it was it was really it, it's barely worth mentioning. But no, um, well, the, one of the things that I oh sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to quickly say, um, we I promise we'll get to your favourite players because I want to get to that. Basically, I want to get to your yeah, favorite yeah. Players. But like, what just quickly? What do you make of Ivan Tony's penalty technique? Because it's quite unique, and I love it. But like, it's uh, it seems to have other people's hearts in their mouths, but not so much with me. I guess because he's just he is ice coolness personified. 
Um, I just trust him implicitly. But like other, neutral fans seem to be nervous watching him take these spot kicks. And I presume you know what I'm on about, Lars. Yeah. He, he doesn't look at the ball. Um, and, and he doesn't run up either. He walks up one, two step. He looks the keeper dead in the eye, like as he steps up. Mm. And I mean, all I can say is at 20 out of 20 now, success rate for us. Yeah. Usually sending the keeper the wrong way. Um, Thomas Frank called him the best penalty taker in the world. And he, he might be, I don't know. People are talking about his penalty record at the moment because um, obviously it's a hundred percent record. He missed one for Peterborough. Um, his first ever penalty for Peterborough he missed. But apart from that, he scored 23 out of 24, I think. Um, mm. 20 of which have been for Brentford. And um, he's he's behind only uh, Dimitar Berbatov. And, oh, do you know, I've actually forgotten who's um, top in terms of, like, um, I think it's like... Oh, I can't remember. I'm not going to try and remember. But there, there's someone else who's got a better record in terms of, like, success rate for more yeah, penalties yeah. taken but um yeah what's, what do you make of it uh I, I can can get what people are getting at but at the same time i i don't get that when i watch him uh to me it's uh very much a rehearsed scenario he's clearly done it time in and time out and that's what works for him um so yeah no i, I don't see any problem with it it's, it certainly doesn't have me on edge i'm i'm not necessarily a brentford supporter by any means but i am definitely a brentford sympathizer and if there was a scenario uh, where he was taking one for england in the world cup in a couple of months time yeah i i probably would be more at ease with him taking a penalty than anyone else in the fucking pitch especially after uh, some recent results we won't linger the Qatar World Cup squad has since been announced and Ireland only wasn't picked. Anyway, that, um, that, that was that was all I wanted to yeah m- mention there. So, so no, Lars, no, please, please, uh, please, Lars, please give me your favourite footballers because well, <laughs> I'm sort of not sure here. So, yeah, it's up in the well, air. I, I, I've mentioned a few, so I won't linger too much on, but I think one of the... One of my first few favourite players, I mean, of course, David Burkamp, but I, I always liked Ian Wright. I, I I think he might be a bit much of, like if you were had him in person, you know, I think he can get a bit too excitable at times. And I bet it's a bit sort of, geez, righty, calm it down, sunshine. Mm-hmm. But um, I always thought he was a fun player. Uh, but but uh, I, David Burkamp, as you called him there. Did I? Is it, is it, it's... Yeah. It's David Burkamp. Is it no? Was? Yeah. And was it was it Dennis Seaman in goal? Oh fuck yourself. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Sorry. I, I, uh... you, I, you know I'll rel- 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 relish the opportunity to be a pedant and uh... Yes, yeah, so I was I was gonna say you are a, a, a veteran pedant. Carp ADM. Um, seize the carp. Seize the carp indeed. No, I I was very very much a big fan of Mark Overmars at the time, and I yeah gutted when he went off to Barcelona. I I love that man and Freddie Freddie Youngberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was good. Was was less of a, a, a particular favorite of mine, but yeah, certainly a, a, a cracking player. Um, I always loved <laughs> Ruben Van Nistelrooy because he was he was just that bloke who would you know he was a, a quality forward, but he'd put the fucking ball in the net. Do you know what I mean? There was some, some like, you know, some of these uh, fancy forwards they used to get. 
some of them would sort of, you know, would rather do three twirls and try and like flick it into the top corner. Instead of no, kick it as hard as you can into a corner and fucking score. And yeah. he was for me that personification of bang and it's a goal. Yeah, and Gerard, like, wow. like kind of like that as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I loved, uh, I love Van Nistelrooy, um, and I, I oddly because. Um, mainly through things like FIFA, I, I picked up a couple of second teams. But my my number one second team always was Juventus in Italy. Okay. And um, I the old lady. I, no, was it the yes, old lady? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the old lady. Yeah. And you know, had memories of uh, I think it was Football Italia on uh, Channel Four. Oh I yeah. Goal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then I think it was the F1 normally after, but I didn't give monkeys about the F1, but the football, uh, especially. I mean, w- what a name for a start. Ale- Alessandro Del Piero. I mean, yeah. what a name. What a player. Mm-hmm. And yet, my favourite of their players at the time was Edgar Davids. Um, oh, Edgar Davids, what a player. I yeah. know. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah. a. a a, an orange spectacled bulldog in the middle of the field. <laughs> and and Edgar Davids has made me think of, um, oh Christ, what's his name? He, he was a Dutch player of a similar elk. It looked quite similar oh, as well. Are you, you going to, are you talking about Clarence Seydorf? Clarence Seydorf. Thank you. Yeah. I was a right. huge fan now, of Clarence Seydorf. Now, now that is very interesting because I was going to mention them both because at the time, at the time that Edgar Davids was, was playing for Juventus and was a, as a big bloke, um, I, I really loved him. Really thought he was a cracking player. He's just, you know, um, and then he got done for doping. And it, 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 being a younger man, obviously, but genuinely, I was re- I was so more than anything, I was disappointed in him because I was just like, you're not even one of those players that needs like a bit of extra speed, maybe a bit of extra toughness, I guess. But like, I don't think that's what he was after. And I was so disappointed in him that he'd been done for doping that I, I. Um, was already aware of him, but I switched to, to Clarence Seydorf at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clarence Seydorf. I must be honest; I completely forgot about him. But um, as soon as you mentioning David's, like, put Clarence mm. Seydorf in my mind, and then I had to I had to get the name out there. And uh, obviously, you know, uh, Gianfranco Zola. Uh, what, yeah. what a player! What a player! And Tori Andre Flo as well. I always used to love Tori Andre. He was very much there. Solskjaer, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. And what a player Solskjaer was, to be fair. I mean, again, you you kind of get bogged down with that United team with 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 the 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 greatness. But yeah, sorry, it was it was really the fact that I had I knew I hadn't mentioned Edgar Davids and the pro- the prospect of of a favourite blokes had been mooted and and he hadn't been mentioned. So I was just like, right, we'll get round to that. Yeah, thank you. And and um, yeah, you've mentioned some players that I'd kind of forgotten about. You know. Or, um... Or in in the uh, very small amount of time I kind of kept prepared and gave my thoughts to before doing this pod, they just didn't come to mind, you know, because the the ones that I'd mentioned did, and then that you was did, it. You I didn't immediately prepped. think of Torre Andre Flo. No, but like he was a great player, you know. <laughs> there's um, I mean, there's a lot of like Premier League players down the years that rarely get a mention these days, but that I've got a lot of time for. Um, Celestine Babayaro. <laughs> yeah, Papa Buba Diop, Eric Jemba yeah. Jemba. Glenn Whelan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just the most boring name I can think of. Steve Guppy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, where, where do we go from here? From Steve Guppy. 
Um, well, per personally, I hate to, to bully this this element, but I, I was going to have a, a conversation with you IRL, but I'm going to have it now because, um, you know, I've got a big swinging dick, haven't I? Uh, so <laughs> let's have it now. Uh, basically, I, I stumbled across something which I was aware of recently, and it sort of lit a mini fire under me a little bit, and I was just like, oh, actually, this makes me want to go and see a game of these guys in particular. And it's Wrexham, because I, yeah. I stumbled onto um, Welcome to Wrexham, and it's not the best series by a, a long shot, and I, I must admit there are times where, like, I, I, I think it's admirable, considering that the two blokes who've, uh, who now own the club, uh, Rob McElhenney and, um, and obviously Ryan Reynolds, that it's not all about them, and I understand they've tried to make the show about, like, the people of Wrexham and... Um, you know the community but for me there were a couple of episodes i'm not i've not even finished a series yet but there were a couple of episodes where i was just like i'm 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 not really desperately bothered about the opinion of the local tea lady do you know what i mean like it, it was it's like it's really nice that you've included her and, and you know things like that it's just sort of like re really a, a few more match reports would do for me <laughs> but yeah it, it, it was um an intriguing it was it was oddly captivating and um, i haven't yeah. seen the show it's on the list but unfortunately this the the list that is ever growing um i, I it's it's frankly it's out of control because <laughs> i probably only get like a, a two hours free in the day or something and um so tonight they're being lovingly spent doing something else uh so uh, there's there's shows that we're in the middle of that we'll hopefully get to at the end of at some point, uh, which will then enable the likes of Welcome to Wrexham to be able to to be put on. Because I, I well, want to see seriously, it. I I think if you if you get chance, I think it will take a hold of you a little bit like it has me. Um, but yeah, just but, I think I think the first episode is only twenty five minutes or something. There's certainly a few of them that are, are not like elongated. So yeah, give it a bash then. I'm I'm interested in it because of course Wrexham being where they are in the leagues and uh, if I may just go back to Brentford for a second, like of what, yeah, when I was growing up, so I I really don't know how old I would have been when I first went to Griffin Park. I'm going to say maybe five or six. My father um, living in e Ealing for many a year um, and Papa uh, was a, a lifelong Brentford fan himself, and of course he had aspirations to bring his son into the life of a Brentford supporter and to pass on the misery and disappointment. Yeah, quite. Yeah. And, and so I did, uh, in my youth attend, um, a, many a game at Griffin park against the likes of Aldershot, uh, Fleetwood, you know, mm. Morecambe. Um, and, uh, I've turned into David Brent, it would seem, <laughs> uh, Bracknell <laughs> winner. You know, and um, I, I, I wasn't old enough to have the respect at the time. So that was probably before I even really got into football, you know. And when I did get into football a couple of years later, of course, I latched on to Manchester United. You know, I was obsessed with with that Man United team. And, and I took the next six, seven years or something until into my teens, kind of being a Man U fan and must have the latest kit every season. You know, I'd York on the back yeah. one season, you know, Cole the next, whatever, um, Sheringham. And then um, gradually, Brentford kind of took over and, and 
And I remember like Brentford's promotion to, I suppose, what would have been at the time called Division One, which in today's money is the championship. And that was huge for Brentford at the time. And I remember like getting a high five off Herman Horidison. Do you remember that name, Lars? Oh, yeah. D- doing a you know lap of honour around the pitch and stuff like that. And of course, these days, I- I'm an avid Brentford fan and have been for, for many years. You know, I'm- there's probably a lot of people that have become fans of Brentford and adopted them as their second team in recent years because I think just the way Brentford conduct themselves in, in all manners seems to have captured football fans, you know, that, oh, this is proper football. This is what it should be like. It's playing attractive football. It's being astute, running things properly, having respect, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people really like Brentford and, and it, that makes me genuinely proud, you know, because, like, it's my team and... Um, yeah, it's just it's just so lovely. Like to, it, it makes me sad when I see um, how other teams are run. You know, you look at like not just in football. Actually, of course, you could look at the likes of Derby or like or Berry or whatever. But in rugby, it's quite sad. Worcester Warriors and Wasps. You know, my two local yeah. rugby teams are basically out of business now. Uh, I've got to go to Leicester now. You know, and um, yeah, um, Brentford are just so well run and, and and you know there's stuff like for example that we're well known now you know of, of course we've got mm. uh, if you look at the likes of the players that we've taken on at minimal like Watkins Ben Rama um, Mope the, the list goes on you know that we've bought quite cheaply and then sold for millions oh yes and, and do you know our most recent acquisition Lars right it's um it's Brooklyn Beckham oh yeah yeah he's he's signed well he, I've signed <laughs> He's um he's is it think... the Brentford Academy? No, hang on, no, hang on. It might not be Brooklyn Beckham. It might be. Is it Romeo Beckham? It's one of the Beckhams, basically. And he's training. Not Victoria. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's training with our <laughs> our B team. And I look at that and I go, well, some clubs might take that person on for the for the for the wrong uh, reasons. Yeah, yeah, the publicity of it. But I just know with how well run we are that like he's come in on footballing merit alone and that's quite interesting so he's training with our b team at the moment but i've got to just pour my love out for brentford because i'm so proud to be a fan of, of a club that like manages their money effectively tries to play football the right way we're not a club that's rife with diving and feigning injury and moaning getting in the ref's ear and all the things i hate in mm. current football we are not a team that really does that and um you know, we're, we're some way off getting higher billing on match of the day, unless it's like the, the last game that Loz and I watched together was Brentford 4, Man United. Oh, yeah. like, you know, we've got results like that under our belt in recent times, and we've, we've, we've captured, we, you know, we've taken people's notice, haven't we? And mm. it's just, it's great. You know, I'm so proud. I'm so proud to be a Brentford fan. And that really, it's Brentford, the reason that I, I love like football and watch football like I do. I'll only really take an interest in other games if it has some bearing on Brentford's standing in the league or my fantasy football team. <laughs> you know. Yes, and and also I think I think that's your your love of the underdog, especially in in football, particularly, did make me think why you you might latch onto this uh, this Wrexham project. But, yeah. Um, I, I think uh, I think that would be a funny little day trip for us. Would be to go to go down to Wrexham to watch a game. Well, do you know what? This Sunday, I'm actually going to see Brentford for the first time in years. Uh, nice. Because yeah, the last time I went to a Brentford game was against Blackburn in the Championship, and Ollie Watkins scored this absolute screamer that we were like the perfect angle behind the strike. So we we saw the swerve, uh, bend, swerve, and curve, as Cammy would say, of <laughs> of, uh, of the strike, and it was amazing. But I've not been since we got promoted because, unfortunately, you know, 
uh, we've moved to a great new stadium, but it's still a smallish stadium. You know, we're operating within the the profile of the land that was available, which is at a premium in London, as it's no surprise. Of course. So, like, you know, I just can't get to a game really at the moment, and particularly away games. Like, it's impossible. Yeah. Unless you've accumulated all these taps points, of which I've accumulated approximately zero. Yeah. So the only way I can get to a game is to go in the home section. So this Sunday we are at Villa Park, and uh, and I'm going. You know, I'm uh, me and Vicar going, and all the best I could do was to to sign up as a Villa fan to book the ticket <laughs> and, and and to book the seats as close as possible to the away section. So we're going to be tucked up in the corner right by the Brentford fans. And um, obviously, I'm going to have to go and just try and keep my mouth shut when the first, second, third, and fourth goals go in. The result, Aston Villa 4, Brentford 0. Oh, I just I just love a quick insert now from like after the game. But, you know, yeah. good luck it's... to you. And you know, do you know what I mean? I, 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 I wish all the best for both Brentford and Aston Villa. And well, I am neither particularly passionately uh, for either to lose. So but good, I, I knew this was... Thank you. I, I knew this would segue to some degree into like you and, and Villa. You know, I know you're not particularly a Villa fan now, but you have been a Villa fan. And oh, so. sure. With with the, the great tragedy for me with Aston Villa, I mean, like as as a younger man, I sort of accepted that they weren't ever going to be winning the league, and they were sort of. Uh, I always took them as like the um, the genteel sort of old man of the league, the sort of. Oh, what's that? You're you're in a bit of a bad run, are you? Oh well, uh, you better have the three points, old chap. Um, you know, it, it always seemed to be the way, particularly Manchester United. Uh, if they were ever on a bad run, they only needed a game against Aston Villa and they'd win 3-0 and then they would be back to winning ways. Oh, and, that is uh, so, that, that is the same with Brentford, man. Yeah. yeah. yeah we, we are renowned for ending bad runs with teams, yeah. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, I, I had uh, a, a lot of, I always liked uh, Hugo Ekiog. You know, great name, great player. Oh, Wimbledon, yeah. Oh, did he play for Villa as well as Wimbledon? Of course he played for Villa. I'm talking about Villa, you twonk. Yeah, well, it made me wonder because I just remember Pay attention. him, for, I remember no, there him was... for Wimbledon in that famous LNX-sponsored shirt of the 90s. Are you sure we're talking about the same bloke? I, oh. I don't I don't remember who he played for before Villa, but I didn't think it was Wimbledon. I know there was there was a lot of players like Efren Akuku, which you may be getting confused with maybe, but uh, anyway, yeah. I don't, must, I don't must know. Make he, me, he, must make me he, racist. Yes, um, but God forgives you because you're such a little diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, no. no, no he, I, he played for Villa and Middlesbrough. So yes. they, there you go. I am racist. Sorry, carry on, Los. Yes, thank you. As I say, forgiven, partially. Uh, so yeah, they, they and I remember David David Ginola played for us at one point, which was just hilarious. I remember yeah. going to see them uh, beat Southampton. And they had a man sent off within the first 20 minutes and Paul Merson scored a, th- uh, a, a free kick. And it was such a good experience. And they were such a, an on and off team that you never had the heart to go and see him again because it, it would destroy the treasured memory of the, the win. Do you know, going back um, to my footballing heyday, right? Do you, do you know that we played Villa's youth team, Peopleton? Did you? Yeah, we were invited to go to Villa's training ground and we played Villa's youth team uh, indoors and we lost 4-1, which I was incredibly proud of, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then we went to the game, which was Villa versus Bolton. And um, Jermaine, was it Jermaine Defoe? No, I don't think it was. I'm trying to think now who scored the goal. It was one all. And the Villa youth players were the like the ball boys in the game. 
Yeah. Uh, and I remember queuing for autographs after the game and David Ginola and Peter Schmeichel, who was a Villa player at the yeah. time, just walked straight past uh, Mustafa Hadji. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I remember thinking I was so clever at the time because I shouted, Mustafa autograph, please. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you can imagine the like fourteen-year-old me kind of doing that and thinking he was the tits, uh, and I think I did get his autograph. And... and of course, you were the first person to say that to him. Yeah, yeah, he just boom. And who said that then? You know. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Lars, back to you. Just, just aimed a studded boot right at your temple. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I was quite happy that that Villa were going to be a middle-table team, and and that was fine. And there was it was always sort of you know you eagerly awaited the new signings, and they would all all almost uniformly turn out to be god awful. Uh, I'm looking at you, Bosco Balaban. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, basically the great tragedy for me in the Villa was that um, I remember a time when we had seven players in the England team, and I'm sure there's people out there going, yeah, fucking shit, England team, yeah. But rightly or wrongly, there were seven Aston Villa players in the England team. And I was proud of that Villa team that it was sort of, they tried to keep the core English. They were trying to play good football. They got players like uh, Barry and Milner and Ashley Young. And, you know, great. I really enjoyed watching them. They played uh, attractive football. And it was the Martin O'Neill era. And I thought, oh, okay, we've really got a chance here to do something. And I truly believe if we'd had different owners that that had perhaps more of a spine, that we'd have kept hold of some of our players at the very least, because Ashley Young was was a, a talent deserving of more than Aston Villa could offer. So fair enough. I enjoyed watching him play for United, and I I think he served there with distinction. Well, but, at, at um, some point, I want to talk about like notable games we've watched, and Ashley Young will come up there actually for oh, United. Okay, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, back to <laughs> Ash- Ashley Young at Villa. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, um, for, for me, Aston Villa, um, basically, as I understand it, uh, to, towards the, the beginning of the, this one particular season, I forget which exactly, but um, Martin O'Neill had been building his side and uh, the owners sort of said to him, OK, Ashley Young wants to go. We've promised him if he gave us another season, he can go. So off he went. They'd already agreed to sell, uh, I think it was Milner to... Man City or it was Barry it was one of the two and they said we've got a good offering from City and Martin O'Neill said I'm trying to build a side here and uh, you you can't just sell half the team out from underneath me and expect me to keep the same results and they sort of turned around and said well the money's too good sorry and so we lost almost our entire crop of decent players and the manager walked out a week from the start of the the league and I was so frustrated and so sort of, and I could just see there's one of those writing on the wall moments where I was just like, the, these uh, owners are far more interested in the lining their own pockets than they are of ever making a serious go of it at Villa Park. And I renounced my uh, fandom right there and then. And even though I know a couple of times you've sort of gone, oh, now they're back in the Premier League, we pick up. No. And I, I, I wish them well. They're, they're my family team, and I will always have a fondness for, for Aston Villa. But um, no, no, that you know, that's that's me done. I'm I'm a, a follower of good football, and uh, wherever yeah. that takes me, I shall go. But I suppose uh, you'd call yourself a well wisher in that respect. You know, a bit like I sort of am to Man U, and in some ways, still they're not the team they were when I supported them. They're far removed from. Uh, 
everything to do with the ethos of that but i still kind of want them to get back to challenging for titles and stuff and oh sure yeah. and uh you know with villa i mean so so Vic is like it comes from a, a birmingham supporting family uh so uh, shame uh it, it is a shame yes and um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i'm weaning her on to brentford i mean it's not that she's got really any attachment to to the blues really but um well start yeah. with b yeah exactly yeah so that's half the battle isn't it exactly. <laughs> um so uh we'll see but it'd be nice to go on sunday and um regardless of the uh, outcome of the game you know and the scoreline it'll just be nice to go and see brentford again because i miss it first live football i i went to the, my last game of football that i went to live was actually solihull moors who are i guess my local team got to the yeah. um got to the final you know for a place in the football league and and they we went to see him because we were in london at the time so we went to the um it was actually played at the olympic stadium you know which is now held by west ham of course what a shithole really <laughs> the stadium. we're like no yeah just don't get me started but um you know that they, they sadly lost in that game and so they remain uh in the same league as wrexham actually lost so they'll be vying for promotion mm. presumably but yeah, I'm I'm thoroughly looking forward to uh, to going to see Brentford uh, on Sunday, and uh, what will be will be, but it will just be nice to see him. Aston Villa four, Brentford nil. Shall we have a brief section on favourite stadiums? Well, yeah, let's do let's do a quick fire, um, quick fire to end this segment, right? Yeah, favourite mm. stadiums. This would be quite quick for me. Um, both of Brentford stadiums for different reasons. Of course. Uh, uh, Griffin Park, proper football ground. Uh, everyone that attends it either says exactly that, proper football stadium, or my God, what a, you know, what a shit dive. Hole, yeah. yeah, yeah, which, <laughs> which I'm fine with because it was really, but just endearingly so, you know. Oh, I, I remember um, Griffin Park being a, a fairly respectable ground, especially for, <clears> you know, the, the, when it was built. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I, I do like Old Trafford for similar reasons, really. Because um, it's a shithole. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's just the more it's just got a traditional, old-fashioned feel to it. Mm. Uh, and I, I would like to say that I prefer the old Wembley to the new Wembley. Having been to both, the new Wembley is just a lot of breeze blocks and glass, and it just has a very cheap feel to it. The old Wembley be, had a real sense of magic. Interested to see Spurs' new stadium because uh, that was, you know, they, I heard so much about it, sort of thing. It looks incredible. Yeah, it looks incredible. And I do like Arsenal's as well, you know, the Emirates. Spurs and Arsenal, I think, have the best two stadiums in in, um, in the Premier League, I would say. But, but personally, I'm sorry to j- jump in, but yeah, I have. One of my, my, the one that I was always going to pick up for me, and it's slightly, um, I don't know whether it's because England won their 5-1, but it's the Alliance Stadium, the, the Munich Stadium. I always thought... Oh, the Allianz Arena, lovely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The lovely looking stadium that is. Just... Um, yeah, looks like a, a, a proper purpose-built arena of football. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And on a slightly comedy note, one of my other favourite stadiums, and I didn't even bother to do the research because, you know, why would I? Uh, but I remember very specifically there was, um, for the Brazil World Cup that they'd built, um, for whatever God-unknown reason, they'd built a stadium, like in the middle of the Amazon or something stupid. And <laughs> You know, you had to get on a barge and sort of like, you know, travel down via barge to get there. And I was just like, what, of what possible purpose? Yeah, so, yeah. I know. 
I find stadiums like that interesting. I mean, you know, look at this World Cup coming up in Qatar where they've tried to do, you know, uh, a stadium that looks like a Venus flytrap. Like, well, amazing. But what, what, <laughs> you know, does that serve any practical purpose? Yeah. Or does, it, does it just look a joke? I don't know. Uh, can, I, but, can I give a quick shout out to the San Siro as well? That's a, yeah. hell, of a hell of a stadium. Yeah. And, and also, I think Dortmund's stadium I really like. I'd love to, to go there. It seems like they've got an amazing atmosphere there. Yeah, they've both got that sort of the, the, the overarching sort of like metal beams holding the roof in place, haven't they? The, yeah. the San Siro is more like a, a, a box on the top almost, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's a, an interesting, curious design. But yeah, it must be amazing to go there. Uh, quick fire, Lars, favourite kits? Can you think of any football kits? Because I'm, I'm one of those absolute suckers <laughs> that loves waiting for the new kit to get released. And I, I quite like Brentford's at the moment. And interestingly with Brentford's, they've done something really quite novel, although it's it's sad that it is seen as being out there, is that they've kept the same kit for two seasons. Yes. Yeah, and they've done it partly to save fans money, but also to try and in some way help the environment. And I'm, it's quite cool. It's, it's got the attention of people. No one else seems to be doing it, but I quite like the fact we've done it. And I actually quite like the kit. You know, I've actually got mm. that home kit. And, and, I've and got I swear I'd, I'd heard it, would, it had been something that had been implemented, that um, they weren't supposed to change their kit uh, for two years or something. Like that was every team and it never came to pass. It, would, it was a good idea, as you say, respect the fans. Yeah, so I think that's cool. And um, yeah, you know, there's, there's, I'm not going to go into like other kits I've liked down the years, it, but just I, I'm interested in the fashion of like football, you know, and seeing what kits get released every year. And they, they seem to be getting uh, steadily worse uh, for the most part. But yeah, I'm glad that Brentford's are quite a, a decent showing this year. And I've got the third kit, which is quite cool. It's black with this very mm. almost disco style smattering of colour like against the black backdrop uh it's it's nice it's a nice kit yes nice shirt there yeah and uh, I, i'll always have time for that treble era united the the home shirt with it looked like a zip down the middle yes but, you know, yeah i had that shirt i mentioned it earlier in mm. fact with the big fat white and black trim going down the sleeves with the umbro uh yes yeah we're, we're sponsored by umbro brentford at the moment I, I think they make really good kits umbro the the nike ones are just shocking aren't they and adidas are much better <laughs> Uh, Umbro are definitely the best kit designers. Just quickly on this subject before we run out of time, England's mm-hmm. kits have been awful down the years. I quite like the new one. Everyone's yeah, having a go. Yeah. Everyone's having a go at it. Uh, everyone's saying the home kit looks like it's been designed by um, you know a toddler, a blind uh, colorblind toddler, or, or <laughs> even a blind toddler. Yeah, yeah. And um, and the away kit's quite nice. I'm sorry again. I'm not being contrarian, but I I think um, I think the away kit sucks. Quite frankly, the the light blue <laughs> on the red does not work. And the colour looks weird, whereas the home kit I quite like the fading of like. And when you zoom in and you see the kind of almost mesh design, that's that's. I think it's better than people give it credit for the home kit. And if if this is the year that we actually win the World Cup, God, you know, we'll see. It, it uh, won't be. Then, um, then I'm quite happy that it, that we would be lifting Jules Romay in that shirt compared to some of the atrocious. Uh, ones that we've presented ourselves in in previous uh, installments. Well, I think I think actually recently there, there there have been a couple of England shirts that are, I am they've been more or less of a similar quality as far as I'm concerned. I, I think I remember you sending me this year's kit, 
And I thought, yeah, it's a nice shirt. I, I don't particularly have any strong memories of it, plus or minus. But I swear I saw, whether it's one that's been and gone, but there was an England sort of second shirt, which was um, quite a nice sort of, almost like a, a regal blue. It was quite a bright, but not like a light blue. It was still like a, a royal, what I would describe as a royal blue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was... The, the whole kit, I think, was full blue. And I was just like, oh, that's that's interesting. I, as I say, I, it, it could have been from fucking five years ago, knowing me. But um... well, we had an away kit that was like deep red with purple, right? <laughs> and and um, like purple trim or something. And the way people tore into it. And again, it seems like I'm just trying to be cool in my opposition to these like popular views. But... I liked that shirt. I thought it looked good. Like it, it was, it was different. And I actually thought the color composition and contrast worked. Uh, you'd have to search England away kit purple or something, and you'd probably find it because it kind of controversially included purple in the design. Um, but I thought it looked quite good. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to have to break here. Uh, we'll resume for part four. I, I can now see that this episode is going to split in two, but that's fine. We'll do a first half and a second half. <laughs> So we'll we'll be returning to the we'll be returning for the second half of the second half <laughs> in, in a moment, which I promise won't disappoint. Okay. All right. I was just having a gulp of Pepsi. <laughs> sorry, I pressed recording as you were saying that. Did you say something Pepsi? I said I'm sorry. I was just having a gulp of Pepsi. Oh, a gulp of Pepsi. Okay. Yes. Well, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> it's the two dicks talking bollocks once more, and we march back onto the field for the second half of the second half. I do. Yes. Believe. Um, a, an interesting take on you know the conventions of the game, and funnily enough, that will play a part in what we're going to talk about in a bit. But um, there's a teaser for you, Loz. You probably know what I'm on about there. But oh, your little tease. But uh, let's uh, let's. Let, uh, let, <laughs> Fucking hell, have you had a stroke? <laughs> I've had a beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I hinted at this earlier, and I think we've got to talk about this. Uh, again, we'll try and keep it relatively quick fire. But like, Luz, uh, uh, of all the games of football you've seen down the years, yes. what, what stand out for you? Are there any that, you know, I've put you on the spot a bit here, but can you think of any games that stand out? Because again, I could easily think of about five here, which I've written okay. down so okay. I don't forget. Um, one one I... of which, at least I've watched with you, Sure, sure, yeah, those, those are very, very, well, okay, we're going to go there straight away, so Brentford versus Manchester United. Uh, uh, no, it? no, funnily enough, I was not going to talk about that, I mean, as uh, incredible as that was, and it was quite... It was an experience. Yeah, and, and I was in hysterics, I couldn't quite believe what was going on there. Yeah, I, I wasn't actually going to mention that game, believe it or not. Uh, it was, as I say, it was certainly, if I think of standout football experiences of, you know, going to see a match and being like, right, okay. Yeah, and it was e all in England the England versus half. Germany 5-1 always comes back to me just because yeah. that I it was so satisfying beating the Germans in Germany. I, I don't I don't particularly have anything against Germany, really. I know some people are really still hold on to all that, but I'm sure they would have celebrated beating us in England. So it was... It was, oh, what a result. Yeah, and that game, I, I was in California at the time, <laughs> uh, and I remember, right, calling uh, Grandma. I was with Dad, you know, I was like... Oh, yes. Yeah, and, and we were in Six Flags Magic Mountain, 
And not only that, we were stood underneath Superman the Escape, which was like the biggest thing. And quite frankly, the loudest ride ever built. I was going to say, I'm surprised you heard anything. <laughs> yeah, it was. it is like twice the decibel level of any other ride I've been anywhere near. And we rang Grandma, you know, like underneath this thing for some reason, um, just to catch up. And, and she told Dad the result, and then he couldn't quite believe it. And then he passed that on to me, and I was like, you what? And he was like, yeah, yeah, uh, Owen scored three. and No, Heskey scored a hat-trick or something like that. Just what a bizarre game. I mean, you know, there's 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 loads of, of, of games. I very I remember very specifically, I think it was United Tottenham and it, it, I think it was maybe the year before they signed Berbatov. But anyway, was it when I, they were three nil down and then they won five three. It was exactly that game, yeah. Yeah, Ronaldo scored in that game, I remember. Of course he did. <laughs> I've got a few man new games that I can think of. So one of the the one that I mentioned that I watched with you, Lars, it's it's not uh, Brentford four man, you know, it's actually Man U four, Man City three. Yes. Right? Yeah, and and it was I was it was in Pershaw, and I think I might be wrong. Dan Tabor was with us. Was that another really? game? I don't know. I might be wrong there, but it was such was, a. Back- was that not at your dad's house? No. Uh, oh, was it? No, I seemed I. I might be wrong. I seem to recall we were in Persia or in, in anyway. Um, let's not get hung up on on that <laughs> detail. But yeah, that's how I've got it in my mind. But what a back and forth game! It it swung, you know, goals wise back and forth like that. And um, Craig Bellamy, you know, another very underrated player, scored a couple of screamers for Man City, and and um, and then Michael Owen in the ninety eighth minute. <laughs> It was just incredible, that game. From a neutral's point of view, it was just incredible. And uh, there's a couple of other Man U games I could quickly reel off here. Uh, Manchester United 8, Arsenal 2. Yes, yeah, Which um, game. was just a game that I would recommend anyone watch if they just want entertaining goals, you know? Uh, and this is the one I was thinking of earlier when Ashley Young's name came up because he scores a couple of beauties in this. And quite frankly, the cheekiest goal of all time is scored in this game, which is by Nanny. Where he's played, he's played through, and no one can quite believe he's onside. And as such, he's just left there one on one, and he just uh, feigns, you know, a more powerful shot than he's actually about to take, and he just dinks it, you know. But but it's the way the keeper commits to trying to save it down low, and then just has to watch helplessly as this cheeky little dink mm. like goes. It's the cheekiest goal ever scored. It really is, and um, I just love that. But. Uh, again, to to complete this trilogy of Man U games that I can remember vividly, in this particular game, right? I, this is when I worked at Co-op, and um, I'm not sure whether we had a TV license or not. I'll let Co-op deal with that situation. Um, but uh, this game, it was a Champions League game, and it was against Roma. Now that probably immediately tells you the game I'm on about, Lars. Uh, Roma won one nil in the the home leg, the first leg of the knockout stage of the. I don't know whether it was last sixteen or quarters or semis or whatever, but it was mm-hmm. Man U in the second leg, one nil down um, at home to Roma, right? Yeah, and it was seven one. Yeah, and um, it was just there were some beautiful goals in there, and like there's there's one where Giggs crosses it to Rooney, and it goes in off the post, and I just remember the the commentator going like. And it genuinely felt <laughs> magical that the sense that like the tremendous energy in the stadium was like 
palpable like watching it through the screen even in co-op you know it was yeah. just it was incredible that game and yeah some of the goals michael carrick scored a couple of beauties in that game so yeah that was Which like a, it, a collector's item in itself it, man you're there electrifying best in that game uh, and then i've got two others quickly one is like a, the best game that i've ever been to which is Brentford 2, Fulham 1. Uh, and it was sweet on many levels. For one, it was like a victory over our our neighbours and um, I haven't really gotten, gone into rivalry in football. And yeah, Fulham are like, our, I think, you know, one of our, our neighbours and as such, it's like, uh, there's me saying as such, uh, the drinking game. Mm. Do, you, do you remember I said I'll say that too often? You did. Yeah, well, there you go. Clinky glasses. Sorry. Um but that, yeah, QPR, we've got more of a deep hatred for, for valid reasons. You know, they tried to put us out of business. In the, yes. Like, so, like, we've got legitimate reasons for hating QPR, even though technically that's where and, I was born. And they're a sack of shite as well. Yeah, yeah, there is obviously that as well, yeah. I, I've but, got time for Fulham, but QPR can get in the bin. Well, I was born basically in Shepherd's Bush, Hammersmith, so I should be a QPR fan if you're going by proximity to your birthplace. But, hey, hey, thank goodness I... I was steered in the right direction but like fulham are just like our again you know they're like within about four miles of brentford a bit like chelsea you know and it's just kind of like, well you know i enjoy the rivalry but i don't hate fulham you know i just enjoy the rivalry but um beating fulham 2-1 with yotta in the 90th minute and it like his nickname was yotta in the last minute because he was famous <laughs> for, uh, for scoring those goals and he's sadly retired recently quite young it just fell out of love with the game but when he was playing for us oh, everything bless. Everything went right for him. And then he went off to like Villa. I think Bir- well, we sold him to Birmingham. He went to Villa and it just didn't work out. And he sadly retired. But when he was with us, everything clicked and he was brilliant. You know, the, he was heralded as one of the best players in the league at the time. And he scored in the last minute versus Fulham to win the game. And that was just incredible to be a part of um, and to be in the Griffin Park Four. It was just such an amazing feeling of unity. And um, again, I said quick fire, so I'm trying to be quick here. Um, <laughs> the, the last game I want to talk about, just for comical value, Lars, uh, and uh, this was the semi-final of a World Cup hosted in Brazil. Oh, and yeah. I was yep, just yep. I was going to mention it if you were. Um, Brazil won, Germany nine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just, it was, I've never been so astounded by a game of football, like how quickly those goals were going in and just the shock. Yeah. No one could believe what was going on. It was almost as if it wasn't really happening. Like it was a dream. Was, I was in a dream state watching that and I wasn't anything to do with Brazil or Germany, but just, it was incredible, you know, seeing the, the Brazilian fans in tears. Germany couldn't quite believe what was going on, but they were just being so ruthless. Like, yeah. It's, it's a, an astonishing game of football, and I had to mention it. Well, you'd have thought, you know, with, with all the things that they'd got to, you know, there was so much turmoil around the World Cup in Brazil, playing in Brazil, and I think what had happened, was it Neymar had got injured or sent off the game before? Uh, he, he had a, yeah, he broke his back. He had a, a fracture yeah. on his back, yeah. So they'd lost their talisman, and it was just like they were already consigned to defeat and you thought, you know, even after a couple of goals gone in, they were like, we're, we're on home turf. We've got to... And they instead, they just sort of seemed to go, eh, we fucked this then. And, you know, yeah. seemed to consign to their... I mean, personally, I have watched the full highlights since multiple times. But I remember very specifically being like, uh, Manchester United versus... Uh, Manchester United. Brazil versus Germany. Uh, I don't think it'll be, you know, many goals in this game. And it was it was either rush straight home from work and go and watch the game or 
go and get something to eat and then maybe catch the highlights later. And I was like, ah, fuck it. I'll go and get something to eat. And you know, how, how good can it be? And then I just turned on the, the radio and it was, I was absolutely awestruck because, you know, it, they, they'd barely finished going on about the one goal and they'd scored again. You're just a like, Jesus Christ. It's a FIFA scoreline, isn't it? It's a FIFA yeah. scoreline. Uh, uh, Brazil being played by some cocksure guy like playing FIFA for the first time against some 12-year-old who's been playing FIFA religiously, you know, for like nights on end, uh, uh, playing as Germany. And it was just that the disparity was incredible. Mm. And I, I give a special shout out to, um, I think it was Liverpool versus West Ham in the FA Cup, and just feeling like, wow, West Ham have have got themselves the FA Cup. You know, they're they're going to see this out, and then all of a sudden, you know, a, a bit like a few of the other goals we talked about. You know, a corner comes in, headed out, Steven Gerrard, edge of the box, wallop. Bottom corner. Thanks very much. And, yeah. You know, how many times with Gerard has it been like wallop game changed, you know, from yes. nowhere? And, and I, th- I think he's, you know, and, I, and again, I do, definitely do not say this about because he's the Villa manager because he's not been particularly, uh, particularly successful, but I always, I always liked Gerard. Um, there's a lot of people I know that, you know, they were probably more Manchester United fans than I were. So it was obviously there was an inherent hatred there, but also like, I've seen a lot of people. Oh yeah, yeah. Gerard thinks he's Mister Nice Guy, but like punched a DJ in a pub once. Sure, okay. You you can throw that in his face, fine. But if we dragged up everything that you'd ever done in your life and put that under the microscope, do do you not think that there'd be something there that you go, yeah, well, you know you wanked into a sock and then like gave it your dog i don't know <laughs> all i've got <laughs> to a say very, there very odd odd uh thing to suggest but such is my brain um but yeah, yeah so you I mean, know all i can really say is yeah horse um didn't get a laugh whatsoever uh probably because i didn't do it as well as darren farley who's a, a known football impersonator that was my stephen Gerrard impression uh, went down as probably as well as it deserved. But um, who, uh, who knows, you know, Sunday might be Gerard's last game in charge. Um, who knows? Gerard ended up being sacked before the game against Brentford. Aston Villa went on to win 4 0. Uh, any other games you can think of? Um, 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 not. I mean, actually, in fairness, I do remember the the. I think it was the the the, the ninety eight the 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 game in the FA Cup at Villa Park, Manchester United Arsenal, and Giggs runs almost like the entire length of the pitch just to like slot it into the the top corner and runs off like whirling his shirt. Yeah, and that was just after Schmeichel had saved a penalty, hadn't he, from someone? And yes, was... yeah. Although I remember very specifically that it shouldn't have been a penalty, but there you go. And Beckham scored a beautiful goal in that game. Yeah, what a. And back then, the FA Cup had a real magic about it, you know, whereas these days, mm. quite frankly, I could not care less. In fact, this is going to segue nicely, Lars. Um, bear with me here. Yeah, the, the FA Cup, um, I yeah, used to have a, a definite magic about it. Uh, and then they started Wembley, the new Wembley Stadium had to pay off its debts. So they started bringing semi-finals to Wembley and that was start- yes. part of the downfall of it. But then you've also got like the um, 
the well it's it's been called many things down the years i always still think of it as the league cup i think at the moment it's called the carabao cup but yeah it's been the carlin cup it's been the coca-cola cup i think and all sorts of things it's been the worthington cup hasn't it and like who gives a fuck about that tournament really it just gets Mm. in the but like brentford when they were in the championship um and yet to be exposed to say var which had just come in in the premier league we got all the way to the semi-finals and played spurs right and that was, I think, at Wembley, you know, in the semi-final. It might have been somewhere else. I don't know. And um, we were doing really well. We might have even beaten Spurs. Um, and our first taste as Brentford Football Club of VAR, right, was to see a goal disallowed because Ivan Tony, who was on the floor, yeah, right, basically sat on the floor. Um, his knee was offside. Right, and, <laughs> and 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 his ingenuity to be able to get up and and do what he did to put it in the back of the net, and the goal was disallowed, and that was our first taste of VAR. Uh, and I think since we've had, if I'm being honest, you know, humble, you know, we've had some favourable decisions. I think with VAR, but this is the segue I'm talking about, Lars. Um, I, I in this final segment of this episode, I want to get serious before we get rather silly at the end, if that's okay with you. <laughs> okay. What are your thoughts on VAR? Because it's such a contentious subject. I've got a lot to say about it, but I want to hear what what you think about it. Well, you've come to your old power laws with a meaty old slab to dissect. Um, Personally, and this might not be the most entertaining it takes, but like as someone who, when I remember specifically, like Lampard scored that goal against Germany that wasn't. It, it was a goal, but the, the referee didn't see it or whatever. Yeah, that was and, in some ways the genesis of VAR, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. did seem to be, didn't it? I, I was infuriated when that happened. So yeah, as much too. as, in, in all fairness, that, that I, I have seen some ridiculous decisions. And like you say, uh, you know, things like that, where the man's on the floor and his knee's offside, but none of the rest of him. And he's got such pace that he's managed to get up off the floor and score. I think it, there's got to be an element of the benefit of the doubt. But saying that, I, I do think that there was something needed to take the pressure off referees because it's it's such a ho- horrible job. Um, I think, you you know, it, it's a, obviously a big commitment. You're really uh, earning a pittance until you make it to the big time. And it's under such scrutiny. And I mean, you know, I remember reading something about where local referees been beaten up sort of under 14 games by violent parents, you know. Uh, why, In why South America, ever... refs have been killed. You know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Why would you ever want to be a referee to put yourself under that much scrutiny? So I do think a tool was needed to help the referees. I think on the one hand, to have that sensor in the ball and to be able to say for definite this much of the ball crossed the line or it didn't cross the line. I think that can only be a good thing. But, um, and, I, and I do also think there's been times where I, I have seen perhaps a reckless challenge go for a yellow and then he's checked the, the VAR and, and as, as, you know, rightfully dished out a red. As much as I have also seen some situations where they've made a right dog's dinner of it. I think as time goes on, the technology can only get better. And I think as more referees are become accustomed to it, I think the overall efficiency will go up. I think as, as, I think it's, it's an important step. That's all I was going to say. Yeah, you've basically there, you've touched on like the two things that I think should be talked about 
very separately from one another, right? One mm. is one is the technology, and the other is the decision making and the rules, and, and this is where I'm massively pro VAR, mm. uh, and have been all the way through this. Like, and it's you know it's been somewhat of a debacle, you know, the whole way through it. And we're we're getting better, but I do think it's important to look at both elements of this. So the technology side of things, obviously, in its inception, you're going to have. Uh, teething problems you know it's you're going to get slicker and quicker and you've only got to look at how it's used in cricket rugby even tennis you know with the reviews mm. like to know that it works bear with it all the problems for me lie with the the rules and the decision making offsides one of them you know and I, I kind of agree with the notion of interfering with play but i do think the rules need to be refined there because sometimes it's ridiculous you do get six or one and a half dozen for the other, you know, with in some cases at the moment. And that is just down to a uh, lack of clarity mm. in the, inst- in what, what you're looking for when you actually review the decisions. But then I, I've seen cases where VAR has not been used. And I think, well, why not? You know, the, the replay has been just broadcast for everyone on Sky Sports. Yeah. Yeah. Like what the fuck are they doing up there? Like, pull it back it happens in rugby you can see it working there you know you just stop the game you know something into the referee's earpiece here are the things right so we're going to get into like things that i think would improve the game in various areas right and let's <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk we'll talk seriously first right um and i think some of them are blindingly obvious one is to put um is to make the conversation between the referee and the assistants audible to like yeah again yeah. like you have in rugby and then you actually hear the conversation playing out you hear the cognitive thought process and reasoning that's behind the decision making mm. uh, and you can also hear the dissent from the players which is another thing that makes sense to me i also think we should be looking at things like stopping the clock when the ball goes out of play uh, i think there should be like higher punishment for dissent and things like that i like the idea of say an orange card you know an inter- intermediate intermediate um <laughs> orange card yeah so like a 10 minutes in bin card that so oh, yeah okay. so and particularly for dissent or or simulation like cheating and lack of respect uh, but, if if anything i'd prefer that be a straight red yeah i mean i'd be for that as opposed um, to just a yellow because as, as you say that's effectively cheating in my eyes and, yeah um, a, it a really fi- should be stamped out of the game like a financial penalty is clearly not enough to deter people from continually showing like disgraceful lack of respect towards the officials and stuff like that so you've got to hit them where it hurts either their reputation or stop them from actually playing in the first place so I, I think, and funnily enough, Lewis Figo, you know, was talking about a bunch of these things when uh, when he like entered the the fray for being a FIFA, uh, yeah. and, and I think yeah, great, we should be looking at that stuff. So yeah, that's kind of where I stand on VAR. I'm all for it, and I think it just we need to sort the rules out, and then it'll be, and, and then I think there'll be like almost zero complaints, quite frankly. Although the uh, one thing I, I would just like to tack on to the end of that is, as far as I'm concerned, and I know obviously neither of us, you know, are decision makers in football by any means, but I, I do think that it must be the final say of the referee. I, I don't want to see every single decision run past VAR for the bloke that being afraid to make a decision. Um, I yeah, think the, yeah, the I referee agree. is there for a reason. <clears throat> and even if he's got it wrong, if he's got it wrong, uh, honestly, uh, who of us is, is you know never made a mistake so i i don't i want to see the referee be the ref because otherwise we should just have a robot 
analyze the game at all times and you know yeah i agree i agree and again you know to go back to rugby that's what happens you know the ref basically looks at the replays on um tms as it's called there tmo dead and 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 he'll go right this is how i see it there's an infraction from from uh number 10 white you know where they've led with the shoulder here so this is what i'm thinking and then they'll kind of not get the approval of the other official but but they'll go right okay we note that that that's fine you know and then the decision's made and i think that makes sense and i think yeah offside is always going to be one of the contentious ones and for me right it really infuriates me when i see that someone's elbow is offside what (laughs) the hell i'm sorry I, I cannot believe that what I'm saying here sounds like it's revelatory or a sideways view on the offside rule. I'm sorry. The only thing that matters with offside is where your feet are. That is what. Yes, you, yeah. That is where you you propel yourself from your feet, right? So if if one of your standing feet is in front, you gain an advantage from that because your foot is ahead. You propel yourself from that foot. You have gained an advantage from being ahead of the other player if your arm is ahead of them what on earth does that do to to give you an advantage in in any shape or form you still have to propel yourself from where your feet are as long as they're in an onside position then having an arm offside makes zero difference to the outcome of that situation I, i i would i would support you there but i do think potentially there might be an argument for head if someone's head is offside I can see them potentially then getting their head first to a ball, maybe. Uh, yes, yes, and no. I think because because even with a with a cross, I'm not. I'm not in, saying uh, that's my my point of view. I'm just saying I could see that being argued. Yeah, I I, I mean that yes is where it gets more into greyer territory. I think, but yeah. I but I I still think even in those situations, if it's looked at a cross that comes in and your header has scored right from that mm. cross i still think where your feet were when that cross was played in is what matters and what well also I, I i must say mate i think you you've done a great service actually there because then at least if you've got the universal rule okay vr we're looking for feet if your foot is out of line too too bad um yeah. i think that's almost what it needs is, is as you say a clearer rule straight down the line that's how it is, mate. Yeah, it's just clear. And you can be laser precise about that if you want. But as long as that's what you're looking for, it makes the whole process of checking it quicker. Mm. Everyone knows what they're looking for in that situation. Um, yeah, that that's kind of my two cents on it. I, I'm all for VAR, but I think some changes need to be made there. Yes. Now, Loz, I believe that um, there are other changes that could be made in the world of football that could um <laughs> that could improve things one way or another and you know what i'm getting at here don't you i do uh, now, i believe you have espoused these to the internet before but i'm not going to prevent you doing it again no and so th- these do exist on the internet but i would not um not begrudge isn't the right word but i would not be surprised if any listener has not come across these before because they are kind of sat in their little niche position of the internet uh, largely on facebook actually and this is where i would like to introduce not uh, literally i'm afraid because he's not here with us tonight but my father john hughes i am about to present to you the the genius that is this man's mind and his visionary proposals for the overhaul in some ways of the game of football for the better i like to think and i'm referring to football innovations which um was born out of several ideas that my father had 
and I'll, I'll pull those up in a second and read a couple of them out for you. Before I do that, I just want to reel off something else that Dad um, came up with, which again just makes me laugh. Um, and this name came up earlier. I think that made me think of it. Right. So it's it's not something that you can go away and have hours of fun with, but it's just that something that he he came up with and it just stuck with me and made me laugh. And it's the notion of taking British names and making them sound foreign. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then doing the opposite. So I can give you two classic examples here. Um, if I was to say Paolo Scholes, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Who am I referring to there? Paul Scholes. Yeah, exactly. And then we talked about that classic Arsenal team of circa what two thousand ish. Yeah, I knew right, this yeah. was coming. So yeah, do you remember Bob Pyers? Yeah, was... old Bobby Pyers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul Scholes, Paolo Scholes, and then Robert Pires has become Bob Pyers. And personally, I just love that. It's 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 got a, a lovely warmth to it. That it's a game you can play at home with the family. Uh, no one gets hurt. Do you know what I mean? But anyway, no one <laughs> <Right>. gets hurt. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, right. Enough of that. Right. May I please be uh, honoured to unveil to our listeners football innovations, uh, and we kind of came up with these. Well, no, that's that's not fair to say. My dad came up with all of these. That's important for me to say. These came from his visionary mind. And basically, this is uh, currently exists on Facebook as a a page, a channel. I don't know what they call it these days. A I suppose you, yeah, I suppose you could call it a joint venture because it's it's come from the mind of my father, but I assisted in terms of writing it, it. Yeah, in terms of converting it into text. And so this essentially is, I mean, if I was to just read the introduction on the page, it basically just says, uh, football is in turmoil. The beautiful game grows uglier by the day and needs new ideas fast. I submit these visionary proposals to save our game. So that's basically the setup, if you like, for the page that is Football Innovations. And I'll just, I'm not going to run through all of these, of course I'm not, but I'm just going to run through <laughs> some of my favourites and I'll do it in order because it's, I think it's, I, I like the order in which they're in because that paths the trajectory, if you like, of the ideas. Mm. Um, so th- this is this is basically how it all started, Football Innovations. So this is idea number one. <laughs> So I'm just going to read this out. In a bid to minimise the number of stadia across the country, and also time and hard-earned money for fans, I propose a system whereby two games are played at once on the same pitch. The pitch is now square rather than rectangular, and although the markings are essentially the same, the halfway line is replaced by two diagonal lines, and each team lines up within their own triangular segment. The pitch size is increased by 10 square yards to accommodate 44 players. The match is played with a referee assistant in each segment and one master referee who can roam the pitch freely. To determine who kicks off, the traditional two-sided coin is replaced with a four-sided dice, with one of the four teams written on each side. Hypothetically, let's use Man United versus Man City and Chelsea versus Arsenal, as per the diagram, which I'm afraid no one can see apart from me right now. Manchester United's only objective is to get the ball in the back of City's net. If they were to score an Arsenal's goal, then no goal is awarded, and Arsenal's goalkeeper will then take the goal kick against Chelsea. It is important to note that only one football is used, so if an Arsenal player is in possession of the ball, he could have up to 30 players trying to intercept. 
However, zonal marking will have a higher importance, so this will rarely be the case. Play lasts 180 minutes plus stoppage time. Okay, so that, that was the, the the birthplace, if you like, of football innovations. That was that was where it all started, really. But I think, really, when we get into the next ones, this is when this really takes flight. So, idea number two, snipers. <laughs> Back-chatting, time-wasting, an endless source of irritation on the football field. Sometimes a yellow card isn't enough, and the bickering continues. What if the punishment was considerably tougher? I propose a team of snipers hidden in the stands, awaiting orders from the referee through their earpiece. If a player argues with any decision, the referee produces a laser pen and identifies the player to his armed assistants by beaming a dot onto the player's chest. From this moment, the player has precisely five seconds to walk away from the situation. In the top leagues, this may appear on the scoreboard, but in lower leagues, he will have to count this for himself. If five seconds have elapsed, he will be shot with a tranquilizer dart. Simples. He cannot be substituted and can resume play once he has regained consciousness. Okay, so you can see where it's gone for there. This is finally something that might work with regards to um, combating dissent. Okay, so I'm just going to move straight into innovation number three, if that's okay. I don't know how much the average floodlight bulb costs, <laughs> but I dare say they are expensive enough to have some bearing on today's extortionate ticket prices, seeing as the light has some 50 plus feet to travel to reach the pitch. Think about it. We can minimise that journey significantly with miners' helmets. <laughs> Admit admittedly, this one may take some getting used to. Every time a player goes for a header, he will risk damaging the bulb on his helmet, which would effectively take him out of the game. Also, it will make for slightly different viewing from the stands, as all you will see is a frenzy of light beams. <laughs> Ultimately, though, what we will see is money saved and hopefully a boost for the smaller club. So you're starting to get a gist of where these are coming from. I don't know whether you feel they would help the game or not. I personally feel that they do. Now this is this is like the, the 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 scrawlings on the wall when you go into like a mental asylum. Do you know what I mean? And you, there's always that one patient in particular, that's sort of you know, JFK was really a cow in disguise. Yes, yes, okay. Oh yeah, like I'm, I've seen a similar sentiment written in excrement you know, on the inside of a subway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm rehashing a joke from XFM now. I can't remember. Where, yeah, but um, yeah, you're starting to get a feel for things, and I think that this is where we're into innovation number four now. And I think there's there's probably six really that I'm going to talk about. Innovation number four is where um, I think John Hughes really finds his voice. But I say that I suppose it was me writing these, but um, just this innovation number four. Who would have thought in the 21st century we would still be seeing matches postponed due to frozen pitches? In winter months, some fans negotiate 200 miles in the cold to see their games cancelled at the very last minute. Infuriating. Admittedly, rectifying a frozen pitch isn't immediate, but there are still decent ideas that haven't been tested. My proposal would be to replace the traditional football boot in these situations and have players run around on hot water bottles. Grip will be an issue to begin with. Skating, of course, is not currently a requisite skill in football. But let's not forget it's the same for everyone, so it could also work in favour. 
Set pieces will be key, and the very best players will practice their technique with the rubber cap for perfect trajectory. Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo already adopt a tactic that would suit hot water bottles. <laughs> Once ice has started to dissolve, tactics and tempo will change. But if you can't adapt, then you shouldn't be playing. This is also an opportunity for different conglomerates to have a chance with advertising, as I think we can all agree that Nike and Adidas have too much dominance today. Perhaps Chelsea would favour an Argos knitted bottle, whereas Liverpool may opt for a John Lewis double ribbed. <laughs> Lack of reaction. I mean, I know these are genius. I, I, I was, I was just tempted when they try and be like. I mean, of course, Loss has heard these before. So, <laughs> so I guess to some degree there is going to be an element of um, a, not a hay bale. What am I talking about? You know what I mean? Tumbleweeds. Tumbleweed. Thank you. Yeah. But I, I like to think that, you know, those listeners hearing these for the first time are thinking, my goodness, it's so outrageous, it might just work. <laughs> and this is where we get to innovation number five, okay? Now, number five is likely going to be tricky if ever employed and also won't come cheap. However, before I go into detail, let's examine the benefits. You see how the, the trend with these laws is that we, we present the problem and then the solution. Yes. Einstein once said, you know, if he had an hour to, to sort something out, he would, th he would think of 55 minutes about the problem and then spend five minutes on the solution. And I suppose in some ways that mantra has been carried through here. So again, we're You're comparing yourself to Einstein now. <laughs> Innovation oh, wow. number five. Number five is likely going to be tricky if ever employed and also won't come cheap. However, before I go into detail, let's examine the benefits. The diving controversy will finally be over. Yes, you heard. This abhorrent form of cheating is football's darkest cloud and suddenly will no longer be possible. Let's just pause and take that in for a second. No more diving. Football, as we know, is a non-contact sport and contact between your legs and an opponent usually results in you being penalised. Recently, players have taken this as an opportunity for simulation and dirty tactics have crept into the game. It has become commonplace to the extent that certain managers appear to actively encourage it. Back in the studio, pundits debate, did he clip him every week like a broken record? Technology can help us again here. We could know in an instant if contact was actually made in these situations, and here's how. Every player is connected to four car batteries, which they must pull around with them on trolleys. One battery is connected to each limb of the player, and if contact is made, we will know in an instant because the battery will send a signal through a different cable which leads to an electronic helmet that the player wears, which flashes instantaneously. It's that simple. This wouldn't require hands either, as the trolley would be hooked up to a bungee cord around the player's waist and pulled along behind them. Trolleys might clash from time to time, but this would be a smaller problem than diving. If contact is made, the helmet flashes for five seconds, which gives the referee time to check both helmets to see if they are both flashing. Remember innovation number three? Now we have two valid reasons for players wearing helmets. Football still lags behind other sports with technology and was out, without doubt the most corrupted on the field. Coincidence? I think not. Innovations like this can put all of that to bed and bring football back to the reverence that it deserves. Okay, so probably the most bold one I'd say of the lot there. But I just want to finish with this one. Um, this is one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. 
this one I think is is my favorite probably uh, so I, I kind of want to end with this one and this is actually the most recent one that was put on the channel which was the 13th of June 2017 very so think, recent then maybe it peaked with this one <laughs> now I, it, this might not be your favorite I don't know but I, I think this is the one that I like the sentiment of this one the most so this is innovation I think number seven but I, I've I've skipped number six um, not to disservice number six, golf and search football innovations. Read it for yourself. But this is innovation number seven. Celebrations. You've scored. Well done. Enjoy the moment. <laughs> Let the fans enjoy it too. But recognise the difference. Players and spectators. Too many players traverse the advertising boards and share their moment with the crowd. This, whilst a display of passion and unity, does breach regulations. If a player joins the crowd, he ceases to be a player and becomes a spectator and has essentially gained admission to the ground free of charge. <laughs> he now has to purchase a ticket just like any other mug punter, otherwise he should be ejected from the ground. If any remaining tickets are available, he must leave the ground and procure a ticket from the ticket office before he can re-enter. His wallet being in the changing room is his problem. Players who let their passion get ahead of them should probably preempt this situation by storing their debit card in their socks. Once payment is successfully processed, they can seek the referee's permission to rejoin the field. And there you go. I I enjoy that one. I enjoy all of them. They've come from the mind of my father, who I hold in, in high regard, and I genuinely feel that some of those could could really revolutionize the the game that's um as the the little introduction that I said at the start alluded to is falling into a state of disrepair and alarming rate and uh, the, these are these kind of proposals I think would actually reinvigorate the game as we know it Lars your thoughts please <laughs> um yes i um refer you back to my comments about the insane asylum <laughs> um god bless you i love you and i love your dad um quirky certainly i remember very vividly the multi-pitch idea and the batteries being dragged around by trolleys um improvements is a stretch <laughs> i mean people moan about var i think think it might be hard for someone to perhaps show the, the the skill and agility that we've shown that we appreciate with four trolleys surrounding them uh, <laughs> i mean or, the thing or, is or, i i mean it, it's in jest when i say you know when i play the, the the serious card of these genuinely would sort the game out i think that's part of the fun really is that they're uh, humorous proposals of how to but but at the same time at their core they do address the the biggest problems in the game i know that they are deliberately kind of ludicrous and and fantastical or um what's the word is is somebody celebrating with the fans really a problem at the core of the game no you're absolutely right <laughs> um that's the one that I find the funniest, but really I mean, it's the I, one that's the I, least I required really problem. I can't have a go at you because you're talking bollocks and that's the name of the fucking show. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's 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 the mind of a fantasist, but I, I, I love it, you know. And, and I think um, as much as I, like I say, you know, I, I play it with a serious face. I think it's, it's just... It's audio 
format. It's just it's just funny to think of these things. I mean, you know, two games happening at the same time on one pitch is fairly difficult one to picture. But I think we could all agree that it would be lovely to to see uh, someone who's back chatting just get sniped, tranquilized, and the idea of players running around in hot water bottles. Uh, if nothing else, to make a game go ahead when it would otherwise have been snowed off uh, is is one that I think I can certainly get behind. Uh, in terms of diving, yeah, there's probably various things we can look at. I mean, we've talked about perhaps more uh, realistic proposals to kind of address that problem than running around with car batteries on trolleys. But again, it's just nice to think of such a scenario. And yeah, just the idea of a player, once they leave the pitch, having to officially sort of rejoin the stadium I, yeah it, it's that i've got a soft spot for that one and i don't know why really because that's the 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 most ludicrous of the lot of them and, and the one that doesn't really address a, a real problem with the game i was gonna say it's so, it's, it's it's amusing it doesn't doesn't really solve a problem <laughs> i agree but um i i just yeah i, I love them I, I think and, and dad's come up with some others you know we talk about cricket it, it, it doesn't just stop with football lads. and again this doesn't really address a deep-rooted problem in the in the game of cricket but you, you've seen um edge baston in particular where you have players of course in their all whites or off whites if it's a test match and then you get people turning up dressed in all manner of fancy dress into the crowd what if the roles were reversed you know let's just fantasize about that for a second so Everyone in the crowd, you know, you, you'd have a, a, a man in a banana outfit uh, bowling to Elvis Presley um, to an audience of like 20,000 dressed in all whites with pads and, you know, the, the full gear. It's just nice to think of. It doesn't necessarily address a, a deep standing problem with the game, but it's nice to think of. And I think that's what Dad's going for there. Uh, offering perhaps a moment of comedy and indeed solace and refuge in a world of uh, increasing irritation and i think um that's kind of where i feel like i want to leave things tonight <laughs> yeah football needs a laugh it really does right okay um i'd just like to point out once again that you compared yourself to einstein before starting <laughs> um do you know what though? Um, Einstein also had something about if it, if it's an insane idea, then it's probably worth pursuing. Uh, I'm paraphrasing there, but there's there you go. There's there's two Einstein quotes there, and um, they they apply to all of those football innovations, quite frankly. So say what you will. Um, I don't feel that I personally directly uh, equated myself or my father to Einstein. I think I just drew on a comment of his that was pertinent. So. I might I'm, disagree. I'm going I'm to leave that there. <laughs> um, sure. Okay. Um, bye. Okay. Are we done then, are we? <laughs> we could leave it there if you want. I don't know how you feel. Or do you want to wrap it up and, and say a proper goodbye? Just leave it there. Better, 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 better,